Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 is we're continuing our series. So in the first chapter of this book, we, um, just to do a recap, seeing how Nehemiah received the bad news of the wall's destruction. We see how he's fasted. We see how he's prayed. We see how they uh, have gone to the king for permission and how the king has given them the resources to build the wall. And they made it to Jerusalem. They've inspected the wall. They've rallied the people. And now we see how they are ready to work. And so here we are in Nehemiah chapter 3, a chapter that gives a description on the process of how the wall was built and the names of those involved. And so before we move forward, I want to address the first point, recognizing that we are builders. We are builders. Let's go to Nehemiah 3, and we're going to just dive right in. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests. They built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundreds and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Omri, built. The son of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, they set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hekaz, repaired. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, repaired. Next to them, Zadok, son of Beana, repaired, or Bana repaired. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, or Meshulam, the son of Basodia, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and they set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the, the, good Lord, the Marianite or the Marathonite, um, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor, the province beyond the river. Y'all know these names are not American, right? So... Bear with me. Next to them, uh, Uziel, the son of uh, Har-Hareah, the goldsmiths, repaired. Next to them, Hananiah, the, the, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Judea, the son of Harumoth repaired opposite of his house. And next to him, Hadash, the son of Hashab, Hashabnia, repaired. There's a lot of names. There's a lot going on in that, right? There's a lot going on. Were y'all praying for me as I read that? Because I needed prayer. All right. We're builders. We're called to work together. And so that actually brings me to the next point. For the message, we are one body. We are one body. So I, I encourage you to spend time reading this chapter. Um, I'm not going to read all 32 verses uh, because there's no way I'm going to get through all those names today. Uh, and so, unless y'all got about five extra hours to spare. 
But I encourage you to take time and read through that chapter because after reading a few verses, you know, there's, there's a few things that I want to point out. We see many people of different and unique names and they, they have different families. They come from different tribes. We're seeing people of all walks of life. We're seeing people come from far near. It says later on in that chapter, Nehemiah 3, verse 23, it says, After, after them, Benjamin and Hashib repaired the opposite of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. So that means people came from down the street to rebuild this wall. But then you look at Nehemiah 3, 7, it says, And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite, the men of Gibeon, or Gibeon, and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor from the province beyond the river. So people came from far and near to be a part of this effort. They had different vocations. You look at Nehemiah 3, 8, it says, Next to them, Azil, the son of Harhea, the goldsmith, repaired. Next to them, Hananiah. One of the perfumers repaired and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And so we're seeing people of different vocations. We're also seeing people of different generations. Verse 12, it tells us that next to him, Shalem, the son of Halahash, repair or the ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. So this reveals the presence of both all generations, all vocations, both male and and female, we're seeing people being brought together to serve together as individual families and tribes, but one body. But when we look at this effort to build, when we look at this gate, when we look at all the people that are coming from far and near, all the different names, all the different backgrounds, all the different uh, vocations, the question is, who was the most important person? When we look at when we look at all that's going on, when we look at the different jobs they were given throughout this wall. The question is, what was the most important part of the wall? What was the strongest part of the wall? What was the weakest part of the wall? And the answer is no one was the most important. The only part of the wall that was weak was the part that no one paid attention to. The strongest part of the wall was the part that everybody put their hands in. Why is that important? Because sometimes it seems as if certain jobs are more important than others. It seems as if sometimes we pay more attention to certain areas, but every area is needed. Every person's hand is needed. Nehemiah 3.15 or 3.13 through 15, it says, Henan and the inhabitants of Zaniah repaired the valley gate, and they rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and they repaired thousands of cupids of the wall as far as the dung gate. Mokaijah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the district of Beth Hakurim, repaired the Dungate. He built it and set its doors, built its bolts and its bars. And Shalem, the son of Kolhoez, the ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs go down from the city of David. So this, again, this chapter, if you read, if you listen, is giving us different parts of the wall that were built, different gates that make up this wall, get different parts of the wall that make this effort happen. This chapter gives a description. It tells us the multiple gates that were built. 
Many of these jobs, if you listen, you have the sheep gate, you have the fountain gate, you have the valley gate. These are jobs that many people would brag about. But then you hear about the dung gate. Not a lot of people would brag about working for the dung gate, especially in modern day America. You know, they would brag about the sheep gate, the fountain gate, but it takes some time. You know, people sometimes when you you ask people and they don't want, they're ashamed of what they do or, you know, they give you this long explanation first and then they tell you what you do. But when you begin to look at this, you know, know what we know nobody would want to brag about that section of the wall, but every gate was needed. Every gate was necessary for the upbuilding of the wall and the growth of the nation. When you look at this Dungate, as much as people may not have wanted to be a part of that or people may have been ashamed of that section of the wall in modern-day America or modern-day thinking, it's the Dungate that provided the exit for bodily waste, garbage. You know, as much as the, we have perfumers, they can spray all they want. They can spray and Febreze and Lysol all they want, but at the end of the day, if the garbage is still there, What's the point of it? The garbage still needed to be taken out because within the garbage, there's toxins that can harm, it can poison, it can even kill those around it. We're talking about children, it can harm children. It can affect people. And so without the dung gate, people would have to clean around the garbage, clean around the mess. But the dung gate the people that were over the Dungate were responsible for making sure that the mess left the nation, that the garbage was cleaned out so that the nation could be purified. We need some Dungate keepers in the church. We need some Dungate keepers in the body of Christ, people that won't entertain the sin and the mess within the body of Christ that will leads you to a place where it can be removed. The Dungate kept the nation clean and pure, and it prevented the other teams from having to clean around the mess. And so it's a job that seems insignificant. That's why I brought that up. It's a job that people nowadays would avoid, but it was necessary. Some of us, we may not be called to do the jobs that seem significant, standing behind this pulpit and preaching may seem significant. You may not be called to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon or small group leader, anything that requires an upfront presence, but you may be called to serve in production or children's ministry. You may be called to hand out the bulletins or greet people as they come in. You may be called to serve in the security, but we're called, if you're called to serve behind the scenes, if you think about all those ministries that seem insignificant, without them, the ministry cannot be successful. The wall of the church cannot be built. The wall of the kingdom cannot be built without every ministry, every person putting their hands to the plow. We need one another. No job in this Nehemiah 3 passage was more important than the other. Each family was given a responsibility to fix the wall, but no one was more important. And so if you're in Christ, you're responsible, along with every person in this room, to build the kingdom. We see churches all over the Hampton Roads, churches with different denominations, and God is using them to build his kingdom. And Coastal is called to play a part in that through their campusing. And so when we look at Coastal, 
and how we're made up of several different campuses. And we're made up of different campuses with people with different backgrounds and worship styles. We're made up of different backgrounds and walks of life. At the end of the day, no campus is more important than the other. There are campuses that may be bigger than this campus. There's campuses that may be smaller than this campus. But at the end of the day, we're called to work together to build the kingdom and to fulfill the vision of the leadership for the sake of the gospel. God has given each person in this room something to bring to the table. And I believe the same is true even on a local level. Every person in this room has been gifted to share the gospel in a unique way. Because your gift is precious, your gift is unique, your gift is valuable. And the next point, kingdom service makes generational impact. Kingdom service makes generational impact. We're talking about the wall of Nehemiah. Since the time of Nehemiah, the wall has been, or the city of Jerusalem has been revamped multiple times. But something that I want to point out, about 10 years ago, Jerusalem, there was some archaeologists that went to Jerusalem uh, to study its city and the walls, the, the remains of the ancient city. And as they were going through the city and looking at the ruins, and they studied the wall, they discovered that sections of Nehemiah's wall is actually still standing. It's still standing. The effort that Nehemiah led was done over 2,500 years ago. And the wall is still standing. And reading this chapter, that's, that, that's the heart posture of the people that built this wall. The heart posture of Nehemiah, the heart posture of the people were to serve God and work together because serving God leaves generational impact. The wall is still standing 2,500 years later because God was at the center of everything that was said and done. And that's our goal here. That should be our goal here at this ministry. That should be our prayer that God is the center of everything that is said and done as we are building the kingdom. Because at the end of the day, all of us are going to have a, a day where we're going to leave this earth. God is going to call all of us home one day. And we should pray for a ministry that lasts longer than us. We should pray for a ministry that outlasts us. This wall lasted longer than Nehemiah because God was at the center. That is the heart of the leadership of Coastal, to build a church based on a biblically-based vision, kingdom-minded church that will last, whether it's still called Coastal or not, a church that preaches the gospel that will last longer than the leadership that leads it. That's the vision of the leadership here. Because without the gospel, the church has nothing to stand on. What is the gospel? The gospel is recognizing that God is holy and he's righteous. He made us in his image. He made us in his likeness. But out of our arrogance, we rebelled against God, putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath because sin consumed our hearts and our minds and it separated us from God. But instead of giving us his wrath, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth. He lived the sinless life that we could not live. He took this sin upon himself, facing the wrath of the father by dying on the cross for our sins. He was buried. But three days later, he bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. So when we surrender to Jesus as Lord, 
We're saved from the penalty of sin and will live with Christ for eternity. After Jesus rose from the dead in Mark 16, he commands all of us to go throughout the world and preach this gospel, preach this good news to all nations. That's what Coastal's doing. It's not just preaching to those down the street, but even all over the world. That's why it was so important to read what God's doing during their offering to see what Coastal is doing, not just in the local communities, but even in Jordan, in Thailand, in Poland, in Honduras. We're taking the gospel all over the world, but it's through the giving and through the sowing and through the building of each person in each campus. It's the gospel recognizing that Jesus is Lord and he serves as the foundation of the church. He commanded us in Matthew 28 to make disciples and teach them all that he has taught us. So we're called to come together and share with others. We're called to equip one another, equip people that come after us to do the same so that generations from now, the kingdom of God is still standing and is being built even after we're gone. The gospel will still be preached even after we're gone because kingdom service makes generational impact. What gifts What talents has God given you? How can you use your gifts and your talents to serve God, to share the gospel, to demonstrate and display your walk with Jesus Christ? What has God given you to use to build the kingdom? And what's holding you back? What's holding you back from being of service in the kingdom of God? Because every person in this room has gifts and talents that could be used for the upbuilding of the kingdom. How can you use those gifts to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ and to edify the body of Christ? We all have different stories. We all have different backgrounds. But God brought us all together to serve him for the sake of the gospel being spread to people throughout all nations and generations. That's what God has called us to do. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Do not allow your gifts to sit inside and not be used because it's needed somewhere. Do not see your gifts as insignificant, comparing them to someone else. Just because someone does something in the forefront does not belittle what God has given you. Because at the end of the day, even the ministries that are not seen openly are the ministries that help this church stand. So where has God placed you? I would encourage you to reach out to the leadership. If you're interested in serving, let us know what you're interested in and we can guide you to the right people. Together we can grow this ministry for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you in the beauty of holiness We thank you that you have called us together to build your kingdom. We thank you for the gospel, recognizing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the firm foundation on which we stand upon. We pray, Lord, that as we go from day to day, that we wouldn't allow our gifts to sit dormant, but Lord, that we would seek ways to use those gifts to glorify your name, exalt the name of Jesus Christ so that your body would be edified. We give you praise. We give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.